You know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And so there's plenty of good advice around, given that is true. Fifteen minutes early is on time. Dress for the job you want, not for the job you have. You have two ears and one mouth. In my pocket, I have two keys. One says thank you and the other says please. All good advice in light of the truth that we only get one chance to make a good first impression. With respect to the epistle to the Hebrews, the Holy Spirit makes his first impression in the verses that are before us this morning. He has written all of the epistle. The epistle is saturated with his inspirational work, but he makes his first named appearance. He makes his first impression in the book of Hebrews in the verses that are before us this morning. May I just remind us quickly that the first readers of the epistle called Hebrews were Jewish Christians, Jews who had seen in Jesus Christ that he was Yeshua, Messiah, that he fulfilled all of the messianic prophecies of their Old Testament, and that he was the Lamb of God to do away with the Old Testament sacrificial system. These Christian Jews needed to be courageous because moving off of Judaism to follow Jesus Christ was risky and hard. Every day it was risky and hard. There were two oppositional forces to Jewish Christians who professed faith in Christ and would not stay with Judaism. Number one, Rome. Rome, if you rubbed Rome the wrong way as a Jewish Christian, you were crucified. Jesus Christ, after his crucifixion, we are told that there were thousands and thousands and thousands of crucifixions after Jesus' crucifixion, and the vast majority of those were Jewish Christians. The other oppositional force to the Jew who confessed faith in Jesus Christ in the first century was the Jewish religious elite. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were not at all pleased that Jews were turning from the Old Testament rites and rituals and sacrifices to this rabbi that they disdained, whose name is Jesus Christ. And so what they would do to intimidate the Jewish Christians would be to excommunicate them from the Jewish synagogue. They were not allowed to go to the synagogue, which cut off all practical uh, networking for those Jewish Christians with their parents, their siblings, their cousins, their nephews, their nieces, and many cases lost all network opportunities for employment. And so in the first century, the first readers of Hebrews faced these pressures. They went to bed with those pressures, and they woke up the next morning with those same pressures. And so it would have been a whole lot easier for them to walk away from Jesus Christ and to go back to Judaism. If they would have done that, then Rome would have played nice, and the Jewish leadership would have been just fine. They could have just blended into the synagogue and life would have been relatively easy. But praise God, there are many of those Jewish Christians that read the book of Hebrews and that stood with Jesus Christ against all risks and opposition. They would not cave in. And we can thank God as we look back on their resolve. The book so far has warned those first readers and us by extension, don't recant don't redefine, don't drift, and don't disregard. 
Back then, of course, the message that salvation was coming through the Lord Jesus Christ needed to be validated. Validation is something that most all of us are very familiar with these days. You have to be validated before you can do almost anything with your computer. You have to let your computer know that you are you by punching into your computer the proper password. You're validated to use your computer when you know the right password. Or if your credit card company feels that you are having fraudulent credit card charges to your credit card, they will phone you. But before they will talk to you about it, they want to validate that you on the other end of the line are the cardholder and not the crook. So they ask you some security questions that you must correctly answer. For instance, your mother's maiden name, your hobby, the name of your high school. You have to be validated by the credit card fraud department before they will speak to you. They're concerned that you are having fraudulent charges made on your credit card. Validation is so important now, and validation was so important then. Back in the first century, right after the time of Jesus Christ's ministry on earth and crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, right around the time that the book of Hebrews was written, the salvation message that faith in Jesus alone is the way to forgiveness of sins and to heaven was a wonderful but a new message. Wonderful but new message that needed validation. Let me take you down a little stroll on God's plan of salvation pathway quickly. From Genesis through Revelation, throughout the entire Bible, God's way of salvation has not changed. God's way of salvation always is by grace, through faith, but the object upon which God demanded faith to rest has changed. It has progressed. So let me illustrate or explain a little more. The family Adam was told to rest their faith on God by offering animal blood sacrifices. So we had Cain and Abel. And Abel did what God said, and Cain didn't, and you know the rest of that story. Or the family Noah. The family Noah was told to rest their faith in God by building an ark. Have you seen or been to the ark, the scale model of the ark in Louisville, Kentucky, I think near Cincinnati? And it's life-size. It's huge. And God told Noah and his family, build an ark for a flood. What's a flood? So much rain, you can't imagine it. What's rain? God told Noah to express his saving faith in God by building an ark. Abraham was told to rest his faith in God by taking steps in obedience to sacrifice his son of promise, Isaac. And God intervened before that happened, and Isaac was spared, but Abram had demonstrated his saving faith in God in the manner in which God required. Salvation has always been through grace and through faith, but God has dictated that upon which the faith should rest, and it's been different. The nation of Israel, after Exodus 20 and Moses receiving the law from God, the ancient Israelites were told to rest their faith in God by keeping God's law and by offering prescribed sacrifices to pay for the times that they fell short of doing that. 
You get the point. Salvation in Scripture is always by grace, through faith, but God has changed the object upon which he demands the faith to rest as you move on in Scripture. At the time when our Lord Jesus Christ walked across the stars to experience 33 years of human life on planet Earth, the object upon which God required persons to place their faith was attempting to keep the Old Testament law and then offering sacrifices that were necessary when they didn't keep the law. This is why it really rocked the boat when Jesus was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world at his baptism. This is why it really rocked the boat when Jesus himself said that you must be born again to get to heaven. This is what really rocked the boat when Jesus also said of himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It rocked the boat. Those were new thoughts. For some, those were unsettling thoughts. But those were thoughts that needed validation. And those new and, for some unsettling, salvation thoughts caused the spiritual fraud department to ask for some validations. Fair enough, God said. God thought it was fair enough that this new message of salvation being in the finished work of his son would need validation. Because as it was then, so it is now, not everything new is true. Not everything new is true. The then new salvation message needed validation. Back in the early 1990s, if you told me that there was something new called the World Wide Web, and that it could give me information so fast that I would stop using my encyclopedia set, you would have needed to show me that that was so. I would have needed you to validate that claim about the World Wide Web. Maybe you would have sat down at your computer with me and maybe you would have surfed that web for me and showed me how fast I could get vast amounts of information, for example, on World War II. Or maybe you would have taken me on the World Wide Web to certain sites that would have shown me the information available Perhaps websites on medicine or websites on cooking or websites on travel. But the point is that you could have validated for me that the World Wide Web was powerful and helpful and understandable. And I needed that validation. It was a total game changer when the Savior entered the scene When he lived and when he died and when he was raised from the dead, it was a total game changer. The cross changed everything. After the cross, God the Father stopped requiring that saving faith be demonstrated by observing the system of Old Testament law. Instead, after the cross, God the Father started requiring that saving faith be exercised by placing faith on God's Son, Jesus. That was a game changer. And understandably, it needed validation. And there were validations. The curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Certain graves 
gave up their dead in Jerusalem because of Jesus' death on the cross. And Jesus was bodily resurrected from the dead. I want you to imagine with me. I want you to imagine a 21-story condominium. It's located at 289 Ephesian Street. It has a large cross on the side of the condominium. And that cross is lit up at night. As you look at the front door to the lobby of this 21-floor condominium located at 289 Ephesian Street, you encounter the name of the condominium. And the name of the condominium is So Great a Salvation. So Great a Salvation. Verse 3, Hebrews 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Imagine that you have your condo on the 21st floor of this magnificent condominium. That's where we live as Christians. We live on the 21st floor of the condominium so great a salvation because we live in the 21st century. So we live on the 21st floor of the condo called so great a salvation. Of course, there was a first floor to this condominium and the readers of the book of Hebrews, they lived on the first floor. They lived on the first floor because they lived in the first century with Jesus. And of course, on the first floor of this wonderful condominium, they didn't nearly have as good a view of things as we do now on the 21st floor of the condo. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After Jesus himself spoke about salvation, the men who heard him confirmed what Jesus said. These men are called apostles. They witnessed all of Jesus' public ministry. They were there at his water baptism. They were there at his healings. They were there at his miracles. They were there with Jesus constantly, these apostles. They were there with Jesus at the cross. They were there after he rose from the dead, when he appeared to them alive. They were there when he ascended back to the Father's right hand. These were apostles. And by the way, there are no apostles today. These apostles, because they lived with Jesus, heard Jesus, watched Jesus, they confirmed Jesus' message on the first floor of the condominium, that salvation was through Christ and only through Christ. These wonderful apostles lived with Jesus on the first floor. They saw it all from there. They heard it all, too, from there. They were first-floor specialists. And these men who heard Jesus confirmed the salvation message which Jesus spoke. Second part of verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect, neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, watch it, and was confirmed to us by those who heard. The apostles confirmed Jesus' salvation message. 
on the first floor. How exactly did these men, these apostles, confirm the salvation message which Jesus spoke? Well, I'll tell you, they didn't confirm the message without God's help. They confirmed the message with God's miraculous help to do so. They were given power from God to do some things that are called signs and wonders and various miracles. And they were also given gifts of the Holy Spirit. Other scripture tells us that these validating and confirming activities which the apostles did to validate the new message that salvation is comes through grace as you rest your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Other scripture tells us that these validating and confirming activities included speaking in known languages which were unknown to them, tongues. That would be like if there was an Italian couple here in the assembly this morning who didn't speak a word of English. And one of you popped up and instantly acquired the Italian language and spoke fluent Italian to translate what I was saying in English to the Italian speakers. That was validating. These apostles also could heal the sick. And that healing sometimes happened just by virtue of their shadows. That was validating. These apostles were given power to raise the dead. That was validating. They could accurately predict the future. They wrote scripture. They wrote the New Testament. And they could do miracles which were contrary to the natural order of things. But what we really need to keep in mind is that all of these validations, all of these confirmations of salvation being by grace through faith in Christ were first floor things. They were very wonderful things, but they were first floor things. That's when they were needed. On the first floor, where the view wasn't yet the very best, they needed validation that God was calling people to rest saving faith on Jesus, not the law, not on sacrifices, animal sacrifices, on Jesus. Needed validation. You know, we can truly rejoice this morning that we live on the 21st floor of the so great a salvation condo. We have a great view. We have a great and validated view we saw, we see so much more from the 21st floor than anybody could see from the floors below the 21st floor. We have a better view of a completed Bible, validation. We have a better view of a confirmed gospel, validation. We have a better view of a clarified church, validation. We have a much better view on the 21st floor. Christianity is no longer the new kid on the block. The New Testament is completed. God in his spirit has given all the scripture he intends for us to have. Everything we need for life and godliness is in the word of God, Genesis through Revelation. The salvation message, also known as the gospel, is by now well validated and well established and no longer is an untested revelation from God. Oh yes, we are very, very well advantaged 
to live on the 21st floor of the condo, so great is salvation. By now, by the 21st floor, hundreds of thousands of believers in Jesus have had their lives radically transformed for the better by the crucified and risen Christ. These millions of our brothers and sisters in Christ live on floors 1 through 20 of the so great a salvation condo. Just go to 289 Ephesians Street and you'll see the building. You can't miss it. It has a cross on the side of it that shines at night. By the way, some years back now, the U.S. Center for World Mission, Pasadena, California, researched and concluded that every single day, now listen to me, every single day, about 86,000 persons come to trust Jesus Christ as Savior around the world. Every day. We're on the winning side. But fortunately, the 21st floor of this condo has a lot of suites. (laughs) There's room. Simply put, What needed validation and confirmation on the first floor no longer needs validation and confirmation on the 21st floor. The 21st floor being different than the first floor, not in the salvation message, this was predicted by 1 Corinthians 13.8. Go there with me, would you? 1 Corinthians 13.8 predicts that the 21st floor would be different than the first floor. 1 Corinthians 13.8, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are gifts of tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. God predicted that there will be some changes, not to the gospel message, but to some changes to the operation of the church between when the gospel needed validation and when the gospel is validated. And he said that certain sign gifts would cease. Prophecy, tongues, knowledge. As a church... Calvary Bible Church believes that sign gifts have ceased, that they're not operative today. We understand that the first floor validations of the salvation message of the gospel being true are no longer needed in the mind of God, not in my mind. So they shouldn't be expected, we believe, on the 21st floor. Now, I realize that there are fine, born-again brothers and sisters, truly saved, truly Bible-believing, who disagree with our conviction, who say, no, the sign gifts are still for today. And so they speak in tongues, or the persons in their church speak in tongues. I understand that. I have many friends who are in that uh, conviction. We fellowship together. We pray together but we agree to disagree in love over this matter about sign gifts. Based on my understanding of the scriptures and the other uh, forefathers of our assembly who studied scriptures, 
we have for 56 years believed that the sign gifts have ceased. So humbly, humbly, I would say to my brother or sister who believes that sign gifts are for today, would you consider four questions? One, why does 1 Corinthians 13.8 plainly say that the three sign gifts of prophecy, tongues, and knowledge will cease? Number two, why are tongues not mentioned in all the rest of the New Testament after the book of 1 Corinthians? That's the last 20 books of the New Testament make no mention of tongues. Why? Third, with 1 Corinthians being the last New Testament book which mentions tongues, tongues are not mentioned in Scripture after the year A.D. 56. That means that 23 years after Christ, it's not mentioned. Why? Four, why do none of the scriptures describing Christ's future kingdom and heaven, why do none of those scriptures mention tongues? To me, the answer to all these questions is simple, because what God said would happen has happened, and sign gifts have ceased. The 21st floor does not need what the first floor needed. The first floor validations that God sent through the apostles worked effectively, did their jobs well. But up here on the 21st floor, we share a perfectly validated gospel with lost people. I began this sermon referencing first impressions. How you only get one chance to make a first impression was my point at the beginning. The Holy Spirit makes his first impression within the book of Hebrews in chapter 2 and verse 4. And the first impression which the Holy Spirit makes in the book of Hebrews is that of the great importance of the salvation message, the gospel, that it be validated. That's the first impression of the Spirit of God in the book of Hebrews. He was interested and active to validate the new salvation message, that salvation is by grace through faith expressed in the finished work of Jesus. Verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first, at the first rather, spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also bearing witness with them, that is those who heard, both the signs and the wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So the first impression the Holy Spirit wants to make when you and I read the book of Hebrews is that Validation of the gospel message is very, very, very important. And this message of salvation first was spoken by the Lord Jesus. Second, it was confirmed by the apostles. And third, it was attested by God's sign miracles. And so when it comes to the book of Hebrews, the first impression which the Holy Spirit makes has to do with the gospel. 
It has to do with the salvation message. He, the Spirit, validates that message. He confirms that message. Because he looked down the corridor of time from when the gospel was first given at the first floor level, he looked all the way up to the 21st level, and who knows if God will give a 22nd level, I don't know. But the Spirit of God looked through all those floors of the condominium, so great is salvation, and said, we have to validate this message of salvation on the, at the get-go, at the first floor. And so he dispatched signs and wonders and miracles to the apostles. All this must mean that the gospel is of primary importance to God. And of course, we know that from one of the most clear and compelling definitions of the gospel in the New Testament, which is 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 5. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received, in which you also stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now watch. For I delivered to you as of first importance, first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared. Paul told the church at Corinth, and Paul is telling the church in Nassau, that what is of first importance is the gospel getting out, shared, inviting people to trust Christ alone for salvation. That is of first importance. And whether I believe that sign gifts have ceased or you believe that they haven't ceased, the gospel is still of first importance for both of us. The gospel was of first importance to God the Father. He sent his Son to set the gospel in motion. The gospel was of first importance to the Lord Jesus Christ. He died and rose again to establish the gospel. The gospel was of first importance to the Holy Spirit. He validated the gospel way back on the first floor. I think it's time for each of us to ask ourselves some diagnostic questions to see if the gospel that is of first importance with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, to see if the gospel is of first importance to us. And here's the first question. When was the last time I shared the gospel with a lost person? Yesterday? Last week? I think it was last month. Last year, <clears throat> never. Don't you think that if the Lord Jesus called his original disciples and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, that if we are not fishing for men, we are not following Jesus? Jesus said to the first Disciples, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So can we say, can we call ourselves a follower of Jesus if we are not sharing the gospel? I don't think so. 
Beth will tell you that eating and sleeping are of first importance to me. (laughs) I rarely miss eating, but when I do, I'm grumpy. I rarely miss sleeping, but when I do, I'm even more grumpy. Do you know what I would like? I would like that I would be grumpy at the end of any day that I didn't share my faith with one lost person. I would like that. We live on the 21st floor. We have a fully validated gospel. So don't neglect it. Don't hoard it to yourself. Share it. Share it. We want plenty of new neighbors in the so great a salvation condominium at 289 Ephesian Street. We want plenty of move-in neighbors in their own condos on the 21st floor. Plenty. There's room. Lord, we thank and praise you that we live at such an advantage time in history, that we have a completed Bible, that we have a clarified and validated gospel, and that we have um, an authenticated role for the church. Lord, help us to take priority in what you have taken priority in in the book of Hebrews. May people who get to know us find it isn't very long until they figure out that we're all about this Jesus and how he can forgive sins and how he can get a person to heaven. Lord, I pray that you'd loosen our tongues, take away our fears, melt away our busyness and self-absorption, give us a burden for lost people. May we cry over lost people. Pray over them. May what breaks your heart, Heavenly Father, break our hearts. And Father, what brings you the greatest joy, that one sheep who got away from the pen brought home. What gives you the greatest joy, Father, may it give us the greatest joy. Grow this church by conversion growth. And we'll give you the glory and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.